It's been a minute since our last episode. Business has been busy, but in our first episode of season two, we're tackling whether managers are the right kind of busy. In response to a listener's question, we'll be discussing what many managers do all day and what they should be doing instead. Join the conversation by following us on Twitter at GuildmasterC, checking out our blog at www.guildmasterconsulting.com blog, or subscribing to and commenting on our YouTube channel. Simply search Guildmaster Consulting in quotes and you'll find us. Welcome to Somehow We Manage, the podcast for software engineers and their managers. I'm Dr. Ashley Graham. And I'm John Graham. And we are Guildmaster Consulting. Today we wanted to talk about uh, what managers do all day. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, we had a question come in. Basically, someone saw this on Blind and somebody was asking, if I'm supposed to roadmap, design, code align, review, mentor, interview, tech talk, run meetings, analyze, unblock, run projects, do customer support, write HPMs, documentation, organize offsites, be on call and accountable for team success. What exactly is management responsible for? And I think this (laughs) kind of comes down to what is it that managers do all day? Yeah. And there's two answers that we can go into. One is what they empirically do and then what they ought to be doing. Okay. Is and ought is and ought. We'll go in with ought first. And ought will explain is. Really? um, Because there ought to be, you're going to hate this, but there ought to be more managers in a lot of places. Okay. In Manager's Path, Camille Fournier's book, she recommends frontline managers have teams of size six to eight. And then every level above that have teams of size six. If you're lucky, you're in a place like that. We have clients where managers have 20 plus reports. Back when I was working, I was looking at jobs where they were looking. (laughs) As opposed to now when you're not working. (laughs) Back when I was corporate. Okay. Yeah, you were looking at jobs. Looking at jobs that had 25 plus direct reports. As a manager, one of your number one tools is that one-on-one, weekly one-on-one, and there's no way you can do 25 weekly one-on-ones. They each have their own amount of emotional labor, and nobody has that much sympathy and empathy to handle that. Except maybe a caseworker. Except maybe a caseworker. Very true. Still, not ideal either way for any profession. That's a, that's a lot. So what we often see in manager fields that are overwhelmed is you can look at their calendars and it's full, full, like every single slot is full. And from this, we get kind of the impression of what has been called by Paul Graham as the manager schedule versus the maker schedule. Okay, I don't know about that. So what what's that? There's absolutely no relation between these Grahams. I'm, uh, so just making sure that's clear. <laughs> this isn't um, nepotism. The... The manager schedule is supposedly an hour by hour, basically calendar where you just fill in a slot. And this is how managers are supposed to, it's not clear in the essay whether they're supposed to do this or whether this is just what's done. And then the maker's schedule is supposed to work in periods of at least half a day or more. From this, we get some clear advice that you probably would translate into today as if you want good engineering, you need to maximize flow time. You need giant blocks of time 
this isn't just for software developers, but most creative or any sort of what we might call breakthrough oriented field, uh, where we're just kind of toiling around and eventually we'll have a breakthrough somewhere and we'll make progress through that, which is how software tends to work. We didn't hear too much about where that manager schedule came from. And I'm going to argue that that's a terrible schedule and managers don't need to be working that way. Why I think you see so many managers schedules and calendars fill up such that every single slot is taken is a combination of two things. One, there are too few managers. And so everything is full of operational work. We'll call the one hour slot, everything filling up operational. You have to do this every day, that sort of thing. And then two, managers aren't handling communication correctly. So how should a manager's schedule look? Mm -hmm. I think this goes into a bit of that question, what is it that you do here, right? What is mm -hmm. a manager supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And we're going to put together a, you know, a Guildmaster branded software engineering manager job description that I think would work for many industries. So don't get turned off by that. Okay. We'll put that on our blog. Right. But two major pieces of that job description, like we need to be talking about, oh, they give feedback, they give career coaching, they make sure teams are intention but gelled right and that gelled tension which is a very hard thing to do you want teams working smoothly together but you also want that creative conflict you don't want group things so you're dancing on the edge of a knife in a few different ways but two parts of that job description are managing disputes and handling escalations which are kind of the same thing, except one's generally generated by the business itself or technology. Uh, those are the escalations. And then one is generated by people. The issue is these are stochastic processes. We don't know when the next dispute's gonna come out. We don't know when the next escalation's gonna be. That makes management work look a lot like engineering on call. Hmm. The model for that, sorry. So like event driven or interrupt driven? Interrupt driven, uh, especially frontline managers are going to be highly interrupt driven. And that makes the model that you want to see for that style of management in the frontline managers, which usually, I mean, in this case, we're talking about an individual contributor wondering what their manager does all day. Mm -hmm. That's a frontline manager. The model there is, Paul Graham wants to say it's the water department. This, this filled up schedule, bureaucracy, sending out mailers for bills. It's not the water department, it's the fire department. It's basically sitting around most of the day waiting for the next fire. And that's what on call often looks like too. But I mean, as a manager, you're wanting to reduce fires uh, so are you, as a manager, trying to work yourself out of a job? To a degree, yes. How much of your time is going into reducing fires? Well, certainly you want to use any of that downtime you can to improving things. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to point out is that while developers and creatives get flow, or that's what we would advise, right? try and protect flow for developers the and makers creatives. makers count. Mm -hmm. There is no way to do this for managers because part of their job is handling things that break flow. Okay. So they are there to ensure that their team has flow. Yes. Okay. And creative tension. Yes. Okay. And that means that they won't necessarily have flow, which means the size and complexity of the projects they can take on is we've got to, we've got to reduce our expectations there. Cultural changes might take a long time just because frontline managers don't have those major bits of flow to work with. Mm. So so 
are managers more operational than engineers? Sure. So we're going to see more slots on the calendar, more of that style of thinking. Mm-hmm. But the more big meetings. Yeah, more meetings. But the big chunk of a frontline manager's calendar is going to be dominated by that sort of interrupt driven stuff. I would like to see fewer meetings on managers' calendars. And part of the way you're going to get there is you need to try and hit managers' path numbers in terms of that, that middleware. Mm-hmm. And again, that was six to eight? Six to eight. Okay. at the front line. Another part of the way is managers, you have to get out of the day-to-day work. That's not your job. So what do you mean by that? The day-to-day work that's not operational because they certainly have an operational load. You mean day-to-day like the tech? The tech, the okay. tech. You're not there to make technical decisions. You're not there to make product decisions. That's interesting because a lot of job descriptions I see, they want their managers, their people managers making technical decisions, being technical leaders too. Yep. And oh. you would say that that's yeah. a problem? Yeah. I'm not telling you how things are in the world. Yeah. You're I know they fly in the face still. of this. Okay. We're still in ought, not okay. is. Oughtland. Okay. People management is a skill and there are a lot of benefits to federating it, separating it from mm-hmm project management, technical leadership, and all these Mm -hmm. other things. Mm -hmm. What you're going to see in a lot of places where you combine people management with other other skill sets really is the plutonium. (laughs) It's the plutonium. It's the dangerous thing. Um, You can combine project and product a little bit. You can combine some of these other forms of management or leadership a little bit. People management, because hiring and firing is going to often fall under people management, that's the one you want to reduce as much power as possible because hiring and firing is already an astronomical amount of power. I see. So if you're combining technical leader decisions with hiring, firing decisions with products, direction and priorities, it's too much power in, in one yeah. location. Okay. Yeah. You're setting this vision and people know that if they don't get along with it, you're right. going to fire Right. They may them. not have a job. Yeah. 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 You weigh in on a peer review. People know if they don't get along with it, you're going to fire them. Mm. Like this is this is why you it's dangerous to mix those things. Okay. So if you shed a lot of those responsibilities to other specialists, agile co- coaches, product managers, technical leaders in your organization, and you get down to that level of six to eight, then your schedule starts opening up a bit so that you can actually be a fire department. The last thing I would say that managers need to do to open up their schedules is they're playing the wrong game of telephone. I'd like to know more about that because even as a project manager, not a people manager, I felt like I was perpetually playing telephone and being everyone's communication for them, which is a terrible thing to scale. But what do you mean by that for people managers. I think that's exactly what I mean. That's the wrong game to play. So somebody, if you're trying to be very developer experience oriented, Mm -hmm. or you are a developer who's moved into management and you want to quote unquote protect your people, Mm -hmm. you may take meetings to get your developers out of those meetings. Okay. Especially if you're trying to apply this maker time versus manager time and open up flow. Mm -hmm. The problem is you didn't didn't do anything because you are not equipped with the answers of you are a delegate for some engineer and you are not equipped with the answers that the engineer has. So at best, you're just shuffling paper back and forth. You're basically having a meeting with somebody and then having a meeting at a different time with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And by that time, the message has degraded and you didn't understand it all to begin with. So it's this weird, asynchronous, decaying you know, message in a bottle. It has a certain shelf life and it's just going to you can only write so much on that little note and it, it, you know, over time the sun gets to it and it just becomes more and more illegible. And that's 
how somehow value added you're right. protecting people from meeting protecting them from maybe that big meeting but you're still having a meeting with them to explain what they missed right yeah or or summarizing it in a report i guess is the goal like you're cutting down the meeting by having them read something that they don't have context on or and of course if they're not in the meeting they're not going to read anything mm-hmm. like yeah so like, you're ultimately still going to incentives aren't there on yeah you, you might be having a meeting with product Mm-hmm. And they're going to tell you the product vision. And then you have a staff meeting with your the people on your team, and you tell them the product. Mm-hmm. So now you've made one meeting, two meetings. You've shuffled it a little around on the schedule, but you have also lost a lot of information, meaning these two meetings are probably going to become four to six to error correct everything you got wrong on that first. Mm-hmm. I talked to product. I then take the message to my team. I take the questions from my team back to product for the second meeting with product and also elaborate and better understand myself. Then I have another meeting with my team where I try to explain it again. And then I have some final questions. Sure. So we've turned one meeting into six. And somehow this is supposed to protect people from meetings. This Makes doesn't. the manager seem very important. That's another reason why people do it. That's absolutely <laughs> sure. You become an information hoarder pretty easily yeah. with this method. A hub. A hub. Yeah. That's assuming you're letting information flow freely. Right. That's true. <laughs> could just be a gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah. The solution is to let product talk to your team directly. And the way you protect flow time is you just figure out, okay, product, here's when my team lets themselves have meetings. When's an opening? Mm. This is easiest if, like, you're in a cross-functional team with product and right. the whole group can decide when is our meeting yeah. time. And you can protect times. You can, you know, you have a meeting t- a meeting morning. People try to have meeting-free afternoons or meeting-free mornings. Mm-hmm. I would say try to crush them all together into meeting mornings and meeting afternoons and let the rest of your schedule be meeting-free. Okay, so we've kind of been dipping into ought and is as I ask questions. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover in terms of the ought of how a manager ought to have their day scheduled or what they ought to be doing. I think managers need to get comfortable with not always having meetings. They, I think a lot of managers don't know what they do either. And so they think if I am in a lot of meetings, I must be doing something, but they're doing it wrong. When I said the wrong game of telephone, you know, that's the child's game of telephone. You need to actually be working as a switchboard operator. Mm -hmm. You need to know where the sources of information are and where the sinks of information are and plugging those pieces people together Mm -hmm. rather than trying to carry the message yourself. Yeah. Now you can be trying to clean up the schedule, trying to find more efficient ways to fit everything in such that your team is meeting with product and it's not impeding anyone's flow. Is there anything then in terms of the interrupt that there are certain kinds of events and fires that a manager should always be prepared for? Or, you know, what what do you mean by those fires? But before you answer that, uh, I just want to remind people that if they like what they're hearing and they have questions for us too, please engage us on Twitter at GuildmasterC. Check out our blog at guildmasterconsulting.com slash blog or find us on YouTube. Search for Guildmaster Consulting and you will find us. All right. So back to the question of fires and the manager being freed up to address those fires. What are you talking about here? Uh, social fires? Technical fires? As Yeah. As we said, there's kind of that dispute resolution component and then escalation handling. So escalation handling is basically your org chart and all of your standard operating procedures, that's great. But you got to remember that there are holes all over the place. And so when something escapes what everybody kind of expects to happen, mm-hmm. that needs to be escalated and people need to get their heads together to figure out how to solve this particular issue and then decide maybe in some sort of post-mortem if this is going to happen again, how should we 
do it. Those come up at all times. Could be somebody's on call and the issue can't be resolved. Like either they don't know the technology as well as, you know, we needed them to. It's a different technology. It's a fire we haven't seen before or so on. I'll go ahead and say this. If you're not seeing a lot of interrupt, you're not managing correctly. That seems counterintuitive to me because you'd think like if everything's running smoothly, then you're doing a good job. <laughs> if you everything's on the escalation side, if everything's running smoothly, that you aren't discovering new kinds of things to break, then you're not pushing your skill set hard enough. You're not okay. inventing hard enough. Okay, You're so the manager is enough. helping to find... I wouldn't say that the manager is necessarily helping to find those things. Just don't rest on your laurels. Okay. If You, you don't want an all-in-call system that is having the same fires every day because that means your post-mortem system isn't <laughs> yeah, working. Right. You're not you're not fixing the issue. Uh -huh. You should be finding different problems each time. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an escalation or there's a page. This should be a new problem. Mm -hmm. It should be. I mean, it's never fun to get a page, but that's the fun part of like, oh, we've never just debugged this issue before. Uh -huh. And it's, same with management. It's the same with management. If you aren't escalating things, it means that things aren't changing. And if things aren't changing, you're getting, you're going to get passed up. People are going to get bored. People are going to leave. We, Guildmaster, would consult and coach towards teams and firms that want to have a culture that's open to change and open to new experiences, trying out new technologies, trying to get into new product spaces and markets, trying out new processes. We're always trying to do a little bit better. And by introducing ways that you do a little bit better, you introduce some risk that there's some hole you didn't see and that's going to become an escalation. So is the manager there to facilitate conversations around that? Because, you know, like a manager discovering new things for their teams to do and think about seems like a just compounding the problem that the listener, you know, wrote about in the first place of like, I feel like I'm doing all of this stuff. And what's my manager actually doing besides sending me new lines of work? And you know what I mean? Like, the, what is the manager's role in this discovery? This is no, this is escalation handling. Okay. The, this has come to the manager of like, we didn't think of this. What should we uh -huh, do? Uh -huh. So the manager's the man not inventing these things. No, okay. Well, <laughs> Oh, that's good. Um, okay. <laughs> I found a place that's broken. We call it the gremlin on the wing of the 747 style of management. <laughs> it's, you'll never find a better pilot than the pilot who always has a gremlin on his wing, but, right? Okay, but I, I don't want... So the manager gadfly kind of... No, no, no. <laughs> we're, we're talking about escalations that come up uh, either from other... Yeah, from... or Yes, exa exactly, okay. organically. The manager is not the chaos monkey. Sure, but the man like okay. So the manager's role in these escalations is to decide or to arbitrate. Um, like, what's the manager's role there? Ideally, you'd start, you know, at a, at a level zero of just still playing that switchboard operator, okay. but possibly, you know, with a higher priority of like, okay, something big is happening right now, and we need to get various people on it. Hmm. You might also be a little more liberal in who you connect in. Usually you're trying to be conservative. I don't want to interrupt people. Let me get the information synced to the information source. During an escalation, you ideally won't have seen this ever before. Otherwise, why are you having it happen again? So you don't know which information syncs and sources are needed. So you might be connecting more and more people than usual. So you're, you're managing to help facilitate self-management to some degree or some autonomy in the team? That's your day-to-day, -day, but not during escalations, no. Okay. Even during but like you're saying, connecting people as if a switchboard, that to me seems like empowering them to talk to each other. I'm saying how during an, in an escalation, you might change your behaviors, okay. how it's different. Okay. Okay. So you've talked about this kind of switchboard approach. I want to go back to the original question because I'm concerned about individual contributors doing so much. And if it's not manager's job to take on some of that, 
but to provide them flow to do it, you know, like talk to me about how you see the manager, their role in balancing what the individual contributors are doing. So I think that the solution for that is going to come down to job design. It's hard to tell where the original question came from. Oh, I'm doing X, Y, Z, A, B, and C. What what exactly should I expect from my manager? Mm. We talked earlier about how you actually want to divorce a lot of responsibilities from people management because it's so prone to abuse. Mm -hmm. Let's take a step back and talk about what Agile would call T-shaped people or generalizing specialists. We all become better at our jobs the more we understand everyone else's job. If you're an expert Ruby programmer, the thing that might make you better at your job right now is more client-facing work, which means you might have to be talking to the client. This isn't to say, oh, we'll make all of our programmers do uh, client services. That's stupid. Don't do that. We're trying to open up the leverage points that exist when somebody understands the whole problem. And if all of the team understands a little bit of each part, you're going to see a lot of process improvements come from that team. Like, oh, geez, I didn't even know this was happening to you in uh, the ticket management system. We could just reroute it this way and I know exactly how to fix this in the future. Those sorts of conversations don't come up until you understand a little bit of each part of the job. Mm -hmm. That's the important part of the cross-training. Um, you can also, you're a little more robust if you're talking about something that's close by. So you have that Ruby programmer, let's not talk about client services, let's talk about a little bit of Elixir. If they know a bit of Elixir, can they help with a peer review? Can they help with some on-call of an Elixir service, that sort of thing? Yes. So this kind of gets into a metaphor we might use from time to time. The regulars, the militia, the officers. The militia approach is like, well, everybody can pitch in, even if you're untrained. That's great, especially for a really small firm where the job design's not exactly clear yet. You always want to be working towards regularizing those mm -hmm. job designs mm -hmm. where you have, you know, I am the Ruby programmer on this team. They mm -hmm. are the Elixir programmer on mm -hmm. this team. They are the client services person on this team. So you get that special specialist. But we still know a little bit about our our colleagues jobs mm -hmm. militia is very close to something in the news lately conscription where we just throw you at the problem and we'll just keep going through turnover and having people quit and hiring new people until the problem goes away or we go bankrupt that is not a good way to do things mm -hmm. There are firms that do this. So I don't know whether or not the original question came from a firm that was just churning through people where you wear all these hats because there is a lack of organizational design mm -hmm. or whether you're being asked to wear hats as a way to grow. So question is, when you run into issues, if, if you want to code and you're running into issues where you're having to talk to clients a lot, talk to your management about like, what's, what's the future plan here? Are we going to get more client services support? Or if you are lucky enough to work on a cross-functional team, you probably actually aren't that worried because you can just talk to your client services person and you understand the general plan. So, I mean, that kind of implies that anybody who's worried about this doesn't have access to their client services person and they're just being told by their manager, that's your job, not mine. Uh, okay, so I'm a little confused about the manager's role. You were talking about the individual contributor's problem, but what about the manager's role? Is the manager's role to be that specializing generalist? I think you... You wouldn't promote anybody. A generalizing into, specialist. Sorry. <laughs> you wouldn't promote anybody into management that hadn't become a really good generalizing specialist. Okay. I was just trying to make that explicit. I didn't know if you were talking about individual contributors need to be good at that, or managers need to be focused on. When we're talking about management, as defined by getting things done through people, there are a lot of different specialties there. 
And if you want to be a good people manager, do you need to know how to be a good technical leader? Yes. Do you need to know how to be a good product manager? Yes. Do you need to know a lot about agile and project management? Yes. Do you need to interfere with those people's jobs? No. And that's why we hmm. need those strict job descriptions okay. and delineation of duties. Okay. So you talked about the militia and the regulars. What about the officers? So officers go back to your managers. It's okay. the it's the professionalization of getting things done through people. Promoting from within is a good idea, especially for culture. But what that often gets us is people who haven't done any managerial training or anything like that suddenly in charge and then not told what they're supposed to do with it. So you get management by lore. They basically decide what to do based on how they've been treated, not necessarily even at your firm, at other firms. Mm. This is a way for other firms' culture to infect yours, and that makes it harder for you to engineer your own culture because now you're just saying, well, you know, uh, however they did things at Raytheon is probably okay enough for Lockheed Martin, even though Raytheon's your competitors, so right. you need to be doing things slightly different. What I've heard a lot of is managers being like, well, this didn't work for us at this place, so I'm not going to, I'm not, we're not going to do that here. And it's like, well, but, but do you know why it didn't work? You know? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, especially project management. Like, everyone has terrible stories about what project management scheme didn't work at their previous firm or what theory didn't apply. And Okay, so the officer class, I know a little bit of what they shouldn't be, which is touting uh, things that they've had work or not work at other locations. What is this professionalization man of the management class? You can, you can take inspiration from the idea of just officer training school. There needs to be, okay, you, your mm. job is different now. Your job is different now, and here are the methods by which we want you to manage. So just as you, we would advocate you kind of have standard operating procedures or definitions of done, mm -hmm. um, you know, actual processes for things for your individual contributors, and who should be deciding that? Probably the individual contributors themselves. Right. You need to have how management is done here, hmm. and you need to have an introduction and an enforcement of that. So accountability. Accountability. Yeah. Training, mentoring, coaching around the idea of management at our firm. Oh, I like that. Okay. And so for the job description of the manager, you're going to put that on the blog. But is there anything else you wanted to cover today? I see our little bit is waking up. If your manager is in meetings all day, that sucks for them. They need to get the, rid of those meetings, just like you need to get rid of meetings. We have a lot of weird... Or make more effective meetings. Yes, or make more effective <laughs> meetings which I'm sure we either have done a podcast on or will in the future. No. Facilitation <laughs> matters. Mm -hmm. Many meetings do not need to happen. There is a whole lot of things that happen to individual contributors in terms of bad meeting patterns. But the one I want to focus on right now happens to managers, and that is this whole, I'm going to be a message in a bottle and show mm -hmm. up to one meeting and carry that message to another meeting at different times to quote unquote protect the people. And I'm just trying to explain to you how that does nothing but generate more meetings. Yeah. So you aren't helping. You are right. actually hurting by trying to do that. Be a switchboard operator. Get the right people in the room so that that information flows freely. Mm -hmm. and work with your entire cross-functional team or the larger department, you know, who you need to collaborate with. Get on the same schedule there. Get all the meetings going on at the same time, and that will protect flow time for everybody. Okay, and one small thing before we close, because it's something you alluded to, cultural changes. A lot of times managers feel responsible for those kind of deep systemic changes in an organization. You would say that that is or is not part of the job description and why? Absolutely. Culture is part of the job description. Mm -hmm. 
you need to be both a paragon of culture and exemplar, mm -hmm. but also be thinking about it as a, you know, one layer up of abstraction. Is our culture good? How could it be better? The main way a manager is going to affect culture is in who they fire and hire, disciplinary action and hiring practices. Mm. Feedback is going to be a less used way to help with culture. Hopefully you're hiring the right people. So culture is absolutely important. I would also say strategy is another thing that a manager is going to do a lot of. That's going to happen more and more higher up. Mm -hmm. um, but even frontline managers need to be aware of what strategy is. Mm -hmm. The day-to-day -day operations of those things are going to be in how you run your one-on-ones, what you communicate, hmm. and how you communicate it. Okay. That's super helpful. Okay. Thanks for answering that question before we wrap up. Uh, if you like what you heard today, remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. You can also check us out on guildmasterconsulting.com slash blog for that follow-up job description post we've been talking about. And don't forget, if you follow us on YouTube and you subscribe to that channel, give us something in the comments. Let us know what you think your manager does all day or what you as a manager wish you didn't have to do each day. Thanks. Thank you.